0: Thank you Brian so much. Well let's dive into the book of Judges. Let's just get right into it and get wet with the ink of the pages of scripture tonight. Judges chapter 1. Here we go. I want to take just a few moments to talk about the historical background of Judges because it's significant. It has a great deal to do with why I picked the book of Judges to study. It is the first Old Testament book we've ever done in the mine. And here's the reason why. The book of Judges is not going to be a book that you read your Bible and you read it for enjoyment. That that you read it for, you know, a lot of maybe even encouragement. You're going to read the book of Judges for instruction. Because the book of Judges takes place in what I call the dark ages of Israel's history. It, it, these days are dark days. So it's not gonna be a, a happy, ooey gooey feeling type book, if you will. But, but here's what it does remind us of. It reminds us that even in the darkest days of the history of Israel, guess what? God was alive and working. And what we all need to be reminded of is even in the darkest days of our lives, even in those most difficult days, God is alive and he is at work. The other thing that Judges reminds us of is that God is willing to get down and dirty into the muck and yuck of people's lives. He doesn't ask us to get out the the Clorox and the Lysol and clean it all up before he can get his hands involved, but he wants to get his hands involved in the very dirty issues that sometimes we find ourselves in 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 life, and that's another thing that the book of Judges reminds us of. In fact, I was telling my wife if I had to put a rating system on this, I think I'd have to use the movie rating system R. This is an R-rated book, the book of Judges. I mean, it's got everything. It's pretty out there. But you know what? Guess what? So are the lives of human beings, right? We just deal with a lot of stuff. And so judges, I think, is going to hit us and and those that we know right where we are sometimes in our lives. What is a judge? Well, if you saw the the card that's promoting this study, promised, by the way, Brian's fiancé, Uh, did a great job with that card. She's got a really cool card of these guys that they look like they're from Great Britain and they've got those powdered wigs and the long black robes. And when we think of a judge, we think of something like that. That's usually the picture we get. But in the book of Judges, at this time in, in biblical history, a judge was not necessarily just a judicial person that, that uh, dealt with the judicial legal issues. Sometimes they got involved with that, but, but they had sort of a, a different role. They, they could be a military leader, That They could be primarily a spiritual leader that tried to call the people of God back to the worship of of God alone. They, They filled many different roles, and God used many different people. And one of the other cool themes in the book of Judges is that God uses all kinds of different people to accomplish his will, which should also be an encouragement to us. God doesn't use just that kind of person and just that kind of person. God uses all kinds of people and works in their lives and works through their lives to accomplish his will on this earth. And the book of Judges reminds us about that. When we come to Judges chapter 1... We need to remember that Judges is really a continuation of the book of Joshua. It is a second movement of the conquest of the promised land that God promised even Abraham back in the book of Genesis and why he delivered the Israelites out of Egypt and told them to go in and possess the promised land. And obviously when the book of Joshua ends, they had not nailed it down yet. They they had not secured everything that God had given them. So another thing we are confronted with when we come to the book of Judges is that there's new territory out there to be still gained in our walk with God. And we need to be reminded of that as well, that no matter where we are as a Christian, no matter how long we've been walking with God, there's always new territory that God wants us to gain in our relationship with him. So hopefully that one of the things that we all will accomplish together this semester as we study the book of Judges from January 6th through, I think it's May 5th or something like that, that all of us, through this study and through our walk with God and through other things that we are involved in, we will gain new territory with God these next few months together. That's part of what God is accomplishing here. The thing is that the book of Judges reminds us that they never really did nail down and settle all the territory that God had given them. And, and it reminds us about the importance in our lives of finishing what God has given us to start. That, that many of us start off very well in something. You, you know, we, when something gets started, we can throw ourselves into it and, and we're in it. But are we in it for the long haul? Are are we in it to finish it? Are we in it to see it through? Are we in it to settle it and nail it down and sort of complete it? And the book of Judges reminds us that the people of God at this time in history had not gotten to the point where they were willing to go and really nail it down and complete all that God had given them to do. So I just ask all of us here tonight, is there something in our lives right now that God is just simply saying to us and maybe prompting us through his spirit or whispering to us, Jeff, just finish it. Just, just finish this here that I've given you, that you've started, but don't, don't let it go, Jeff. Nail it, settle it, complete it. Now when we come to Judges chapter 1, We also see in this opening chapter of the book of Judges a picture of God's help. I want you to notice four things in Judges chapter 1 about God's help. First of all, his direction. After Joshua died, verse 1, the Israelites asked the Lord who should lead the invasion against the Canaanites and launch the attack. And the Lord said the men of Judah should take the lead. He is directing his people about what their next step should be. Can I just say that God offers that same help to you and I today. As Brian said, even though this was written thousands of years ago, that he's the same God. And he still wants to lead and he still wants to direct our lives if we will allow him to. The Bible even says that those who are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. And so God wants to lead us tonight. He wants to lead us this week Are we allowing him to lead and direct us? That's part of the help that God gives us. Notice also in verse 2, his assurance. The Lord said the men of Judah should take the lead and be sure of this. I am handing the land over to them. So not only does God direct, he gives assurance. He gives confirmation that this is the way you are going and I am with you in it. I'm going to hand it over to you. You also notice God's help in verse 4 in his power power because the men of Judah attacked and the Lord handed the Canaanites and parasites over to them they killed 10,000 men at Bezek the power of God was operating and the people of God were conquering and were seeing victory and then finally his presence verse 19 and verse 22 notice this is key the Lord was with the men of Judah Therefore, they conquered the hill country. Verse 22, when the men of Joseph attacked Bethel, the Lord was with them. And can I just say that that's key in our lives? If if we're going to do anything, if we're going to gain any kind of new territory, if we're going to accomplish anything, we've got to have the Lord with us. We've got to make sure that the Lord is with us or we're with the Lord, however you want to say it, but we've got to make sure that the Lord is with us in what we are doing. So a question we all need to just ask is, is the Lord in this? Whatever it is, is the the Lord with me in this? Is the Lord supporting me? Is he helping me? Is he giving me his direction? Is he giving me his assurance and confirmation? Am I seeing a manifestation of his power and am I seeing a manifestation of his presence here? Because if he is with us, folks, then guess what? If God be for us, who can be against us? There is nothing that we're going to face this coming year if the Lord is with us that we can't stand up with the Lord and see victory in. And that's what we are learning here once again in the book of Judges. That God wants to help his people. And God wants to help them achieve all that he has given them, all that he has created them to be. And God wants to do that in their lives. He wanted to do that in their lives. He wants to do that in our lives as well. And he will provide everything that we need for the journey. You'll also notice something else about God's help that's encouraging here in Joshua, Judges chapter 1. And that is that God's help came during crisis. Verse 1. Because it was after Joshua died. The great leader of Israel. The one that, that led a lot of the victories in the book of Joshua. And now Joshua has died. But we must remember something. The end of, ending of something is always the opportunity for the beginning of something else. And God buries his workers but never buries his work. His work always goes on. In spite of the fact that his workers pass on. God's help came during crisis. God's help comes in our lives during crisis as well. When we need him the most, he's there. He's there. Because he's always there for his people. Wanting to help them. Now... God may choose not to help us in the way that we think he should help us, but he will be there to help and to give grace and to do whatever he needs to do in our lives so that we can continue to move forward in our relationship with him. Many of us, many of you may be going through a crisis time in your life. And like the nation of Israel, when Joshua passed away and died, That was a loss, a tremendous loss to the nation of Israel. But God was there in the midst of the loss, and God wanted them to keep moving forward and keep going in spite of the loss that they experienced through the death of Joshua. Also notice in verse 3 and verse 17 that God's help came during cooperation. During the time that the people of God came together and cooperated with each other. For the Bible says in Judges 1-3, the men of Judah said to their relatives, the men of Simeon, invade our allotted land with us and help us attack the Canaanites. Then we will go with you into your allotted land. So the men of Simeon went with them. Look also at verse 17. The men of Judah went with their brothers, the men of Simeon, and defeated the Canaanites living in Zephath. Throughout the book, the author depicts Israel's unity as progressively deteriorating. And with it, Israel's fortunes. The Lord's people, according to the book of Judges, thrive on mutual assistance. God has given us one another as channels of his help and strength. God doesn't expect us. To be what I call those lone ranger Christians out there doing the Christian life and trying to gain new territory on our own. God never expected us to live our lives in isolation. As I say many times, spiritual growth doesn't take place in a vacuum. God expects us to come together and to mutually support and assist one another. And you see that. And and when God's people do that, man, God is showing up in mighty ways. But as we move through the book of Judges, one of the things you will see is as the people of God begin to lack that cooperation and unity and, and that I guess just inspiring heart of wanting to help each other and care for each other and do for each other, God's not showing up as much because he's not going to put his hand of blessing on a group of people that are not there for each other. That is a clear reflection that there's something wrong in their relationship with God. Because the Bible clearly teaches if my vertical relationship with God is what it should be, then I'm going to have more Fulfillment and success in my horizontal relationships with others. And the book of Judges reminds us of that principle as well. Now with all of that good stuff, in a sense, from the part of chapter 1, the second half of the chapter shows a progressive failure of Israel to possess their territories. Beginning in verse 27 of Judges chapter 1, seven times the author reminds us, that the nation of Israel did not conquer completely those occupying the land. I'm just going to read a few of them as an example for you, beginning in verse 27. The men of Manasseh did not conquer, nor did they conquer the people living in those other towns. Verse 28, they never totally conquered them at the end of verse 28. Verse 29, the men of Ephraim did not conquer the Canaanites living in Gezer, Verse 30, the men of Zebulun did not conquer the people living in Kitron. What's the significance of this? Well, according to God, these people groups were wicked. They were like a cancer that needed to be completely removed. And just like we would be upset if we had cancer and a surgeon went in and said, I could get I could have gotten all of it, all 100% of it, but I chose to only get 90% and leave the other 10% in there. We'd be pretty upset with that response and that answer. And God is saying that that the reason why he wanted his people again to be completely obedient and to completely drive out those who were inhabiting this land was because they were going to be a cancer that was going to come back and wreak havoc on the people of God, and that's exactly What they did. In fact, I want you to take your Bibles and go back with me to the book of Exodus and see the warning that God gives to his people back in Exodus chapter 23 about this very issue. Exodus 23. And I want to begin in verse 30 of Exodus 23. Exodus 23, verse 30. Here's a great principle. God says also, little by little, I will drive them out before you. That's the way God works most of the time in our lives. It's never God takes us from point A to point H. It's usually God takes us from A to step B, B to C, C to D. Because God wants us to learn to walk step by step with him. The walk of faith. And that's exactly what he was going to teach his people back in the book of Joshua and the book of Judges. As they went into this territory, it was going to be little by little. I will drive them out before you. Notice, until you become fruitful and inherit the land. Verse 31, I will set your boundaries from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the desert to the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you will drive them out before you. You must make no covenant with them or with their gods. They must not live in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. That was the warning God gave his people even before they started to occupy the land in the book of Joshua. And guess what? Because we're seeing in the book of Judges, they're still not obeying the Lord. They're still allowing that snare, if you will, to stay in the land. Now, I want to stop here for a moment, too, because sometimes when people read the Old Testament, they they get freaked out about, first of all, why is God driving these people out of their land and allowing his people to occupy that land? We don't have time to go through the whole Old Testament and see all the historical backdrop here, but let me just quickly say this. These people that were being driven out of their land were being driven out because it was God's judgment upon them. No different than when God brought the rain in Noah's day. These people were utterly wicked. And God had given them hundreds of years to repent and to turn from their wicked ways and to do it right. And they refused to repent. They, they did things like practice sexual immorality as part of their religious practice. We're going to talk about that as we move through the book of Judges, because sexual immorality was a part of their religion. They also committed child sacrifice. Part of their religion was passing their sons and daughters through the fire and killing their sons and daughters to idols and to false gods. And these were just some of the atrocities that these people had done for hundreds of years. And God finally said, I've had enough. I've had enough of seeing women raped and abused. I've had enough of seeing these these young children dying. I am putting an end to it. And so God was going to use his people as an instrument of justice and judgment. And he was going to drive these people out. And so he tells his people, do not let these people stay in that land because if you do, Their false worship, their false gods, the way they are doing things are going to be a snare upon you. That's why it was so important that they completely drive them out. That's why in our lives it's not enough to be 80% obedient in in an area or 90% obedient. God wants us to learn to be 100% obedient to what he's asking us to do. There's a good reason for it. God's not a cosmic killjoy up there trying to set all these rules and and give us these principles so that we might live a miserable life. He is the God who created us and wants us to enjoy life to the full. And he knows exactly how we can enjoy life to the full. It's through obedience to him. So back to the book of Judges. Before we move into chapter 2 tonight, chapter 1 is illustrating for us that because of what Israel permitted these were conditions that did not bring instant disaster. But because they allowed or permitted these things in their lives, it blew up their lives down the road. And something that we all need to be reminded of here as we learn from the book of Judges from the people of God in the Old Testament is that we've got to be careful that the things that we permit today may not instantaneously bring some kind of bad thing in our lives, but if we permit it over time, somewhere down the road, as the Bible teaches in the book of Galatians, we will reap what we have sowed. So notice when we come to chapter 2, chapter 2 opens with a God who cares enough to confront his people with their disobedience and rebellion. The Lord's angelic messenger went up from Gilgal to Bochum, He said, I brought you up from Egypt and led you into the land I had solemnly promised to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my agreement with you, but you must not make an agreement with the people who live in this land. You should tear down the altars where they worship, but you have disobeyed me. Why would you do such a thing? At that time, I also warned you, if you disobey, I will not drive out the Canaanites before you. They will ensnare you and their gods will lure you away. And when the Lord's messenger finished speaking these words to all the Israelites, the people wept loudly. They named the place Bokum and offered sacrifices to the Lord there, because the word Bokum simply means weeping. Now it's usually a good sign when God's people can still weep, when we can be moved to tears. So we learn in chapter two of judges that they wept and offered sacrifices. But what did all of this produce? I think we will see here even tonight, not a lot. And I'm not saying that weeping is not appropriate at times, and sacrifice is not appropriate at times. But over, and over, and over again in the Old Testament, God told His people to obey is better than sacrifice. I'd rather have your obedience than your sacrifices. In fact, in the through the prophet Joel, he tells his people tear your hearts or open up your hearts to me don't just tear your garments because when the people of God would get upset and 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 be upset about their sin and what had happened they would literally rip their garments and God says you know that's all good that you're getting that upset about it but I would rather you open up your heart to me that's why when you come down through chapter two and you go over to verse 10 you read this very tragic verse That after it sort of gives us a little capsule of Joshua again in his life and his passing, verse 10 says, that entire generation passed away, the generation of Joshua. And a new generation grew up that had not personally experienced the Lord's presence or seen what he had done for Israel. And then I want you to go over to verse 7 of chapter 3 just quickly. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot the Lord their God and worshipped the Baals and the Asherahs. Wow. They were weeping. They were sacrificing. But did it really produce repentance? Did it really produce obedience? Obviously not. And Judges chapter 2 verse 10 reminds us that there was this new generation in Israel who knew about God but did not know God that's important because there's a lot of folks today who know about God they know about Jesus Christ they might have even been raised in church and went to Sunday school and heard all the stories about Jesus and they know the about the Bible they can quote Bible verses they know about God but they don't know God in a personal way And Judges chapter 2 verse 10 reminds us that we have to be careful that it's not becoming formalism over faith, that it's not becoming ritual over reality, that we're not just going through the motions, which is what Judges chapter 2 verse 10 and really chapter 3 verse 7 is reminding us that, that Israel had got to a point after Joshua and that generation had passed. That this new generation was still going through the motions, but there was no reality there. They were, in a sense, externally doing a lot of the right things, but obviously not totally being obedient to the Lord. And they were trying to make a good show or appearance on the outside, but there was no heart reality there. And all of us folks, all of us, no matter how long we've walked with God, there is still even that temptation even in my life to get to the point where I just go through the motions and know what I should do and what I should say and all of that. And yet it's not being born out of a walk with God. God wants to make sure that all of us are walking with him and that the things that we do and the life that we are living is being lived out of the overflow of this intimate personal relationship with our living God. And it doesn't enter into this ritual or formalism that the nation of Israel had entered into. And that's part of why the book of Judges is in the dark ages and dark days of Israel's history. Because that's where they had got to. And remember... This was the people whose ancestors saw the Red Sea parted. They saw the pillar of fire and, and the, the cloud. They, they saw the miraculous miracles and the ten plagues they'd heard through the... This was the same people. And yet, because somewhere along the line, the, the, the baton was not passed to that next generation in a real way and in a passionate way, that somewhere along the line, that spiritual baton was dropped, and this next generation was just living through a, a cold ritual formalism. God help us to never get to that point. And because of that, instead of victory in their lives, there was a vacuum. A spiritual vacuum in the lives of God's people. And when there's a vacuum in the lives of God's people, something else is going to flood in. So notice if you go back to chapter 2, verse 10, and you read that verse about this new generation. Then notice the very next verse. Again, just like chapter 3, verse 7. The Israelites did evil before the Lord by worshiping the Baals. Baal worship. The people of God worshiping idols, the people of God entering into a religion that practices sexual immorality and and child sacrifice, the people of God stooping to that level. Yes, because when you and I even get to any point in our life where Jesus Christ alone is not sufficient to fill that vacuum, that vacuum in our lives is going to be filled with someone or something else that is so insufficient compared to Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what was happening in the lives of the nation of Israel. That they had gotten to a point where God, their God, was not sufficient. He was not being allowed to fill that void and that vacuum in their life. And so because he was not being allowed to fill that vacuum, even though he could and was the only one who could, they began to try to fill their lives with all these other things to make them feel good and fill that vacuum. And guys and gals, that's a dead end street for any of us even today we've got to be reminded that Jesus Christ is totally sufficient and he is the only one who can fill that vacuum in our lives. There is nothing else, no one else, nothing on this earth, nothing that we can come in contact with other than Jesus Christ that can fill that vacuum. Another point I want to make, I want to talk just for a moment about the other conditions that sort of fostered their spiritual fall, things that we need to be careful of. They failed to impact their culture, therefore their culture impacted them. If God's people are going to impact our culture, we must cease thinking that God calls only ministers and missionaries. He calls believers to be artists, musicians, journalists, politicians, teachers, administrators, plumbers, scientists, business leaders, doctors. You can keep going on. God calls all of us to infiltrate our society, to take up our lives as Christians, and to make an impact in this world. And he's not just calling ministers and missionaries. He calls every one of us as his children to go out there and make a difference positively in this world in which we live. And we as the church need to get a grip on that again. It's one of the things I appreciate about our lead pastor, Pastor Lynn, is he has a heart for this body of people here at Cornerstone Christian Fellowship, not just hanging around the Chandler area, but making an impact And being an influence in this area of Arizona. Also, back to chapter 3, verse 7, just for a moment. Notice they contracted spiritual amnesia. They forgot the Lord their God. They forgot all that God had done for them. They did not keep the stories of God at the forefront of their thinking. The Bible is clear. Amnesia produces abandonment. That's why the Scripture calls us over and over again to remember, to keep the stories of God from the pages of Scripture and from our own lives and the lives of others at the forefront of our thinking and sharing what God is always doing. Because we can get to a point where all of us can forget. We can forget that God is faithful. We can start focusing so much on the present and what we're going through that we forget the faithfulness of God that even brought us to this point. We can all forget. That's why even Jesus Christ said to the church, I'm going to leave an ordinance with you, the ordinance of communion, the Lord's table, so that even thousands of years after I sacrifice myself on the cross, I want you to do this in remembrance of me because I don't want any believer to get to a point where we forget the sacrifice of Jesus for us. The blood of God that was spilled so that we could have a relationship with God. God understands as human beings, we just have that natural tendency to forget. Familiarity breeds contempt. What have you done for me lately, God? So sometimes we need to go back and we need to remind ourselves and we need to remember what God has done. They forgot what God had done. And their spiritual amnesia produced abandonment. I want to bring you to another passage of Scripture here in chapter 2 that it troubles some people. And I'm not going to say again that everything that we read and study in the book of Judges is going to make us feel all ooey-gooey. It doesn't. But I will say this. It's the Word of God. It's true. It's real. We have to wrestle with it. And notice in verse 14. Well, no, I'm just going to read down from verse 11. The Israelites did evil before the Lord by worshiping the Baals. They abandoned the Lord God of their ancestors who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They followed other gods, the gods of the nations who lived around them. They worshipped them and made the Lord angry. They abandoned the Lord and worshipped Baal and the Ashtoreth. Therefore, verse 14, the Lord was furious with Israel and handed them over to robbers who plundered them. He turned them over to their enemies who lived around them. They could not withstand their enemies' attacks. Whenever they went out to fight, the Lord did them harm, just as he had warned and solemnly vowed he would do. They suffered greatly. Can I just say that when you come to a passage of Scripture like this, you see the astonishing character of God. You see, his anger that is clearly revealed here, is the price that all of us pay for being loved by Him. If we forsake Him, He's going to pursue us. And He never emotionally detaches Himself from us. You see, you and I, as human beings, whenever we feel that pain, separation, some kind of hurt, is coming, we begin to emotionally detach ourselves because we don't want to feel the full force of the pain of these broken relationships. Can I tell you something astonishing about God? The reason why the Bible says God gets furious and angry when his people walk away and abandon him and that relationship, it's because he never emotionally detaches himself. He feels the full force of that Abandonment and that forsakenness. I see it in couples all the time. I used to get asked, Pastor Jeff, why is it that I see a couple who's been married for years and years and years and and they get divorced and it doesn't seem like it's really emotionally affecting them? I don't get that. I don't understand that. And Years ago, I didn't understand it. As I became a pastor and worked and and counseled and all of that over the years, one of the things I realized was that as human beings, and not just in this instance, this is just one example, that spouse or both of those spouses, if the relationship began to at some point take a downturn, they began to emotionally detach themselves maybe months or years before separation or divorce ever came about. So that when that finally came... They didn't really feel the full force or brunt of that pain because they began to separate themselves emotionally from that person that at once they were close to and loved months or years ago. See, one of the things the Bible tells us about God is God will never do that with us. We may cause him tremendous pain, but he will never walk away from us physically and he will never emotionally detach himself from us. He will always burn in his love for us no matter what our lives look like. That's how much he loves us. And he will always pursue us, even in his anger. The reason being, because God knows the best thing for me is to be in right relationship with him. So God's not going to make me living in sin and walking away from him comfortable. God's going to make sure that I'm going to go through some pain because in God's mind and through God's wisdom, he's only doing that to bring me back, to lure me back, to win me back to him. If God didn't care, he would just let me go. Jonah is a whole book in the Bible, in the Old Testament, about the very fact that even the prophet of God didn't want to do anything with God, didn't want to do what God wanted to do, and yet God went after him to the point where he even had this fish swallow Jonah. Because he wasn't going to give up on Jonah. And God doesn't give up on us. And I'm so thankful that I serve a God and I know a God and I have a God in my life who loves me that even when I've walked away from him and if I walk away from him ever in the future, he will come after me. And he will never abandon me. And he will never emotionally detach himself from me. Verse 15 also reminds us that he's faithful to his word, that he doesn't make idle threats. Notice in verse 15, the Bible says, whenever they went out to fight, the Lord did them harm, just as he had warned and solemnly vowed he would do. This wasn't something that should have caught them by surprise. God said, you disobey me, you abandon me, you rebel against me, you start worshiping idols, you're going to pay consequences for it. And he's the same God today. He gives us a choice. He says, you can follow me, you can obey, you can choose not to. But I'm just telling you, if you choose not to obey and follow, guess what? There's going to be consequences. Because God knows that the best place for us is when we're following our shepherd. But isn't it amazing, in this one passage in the Old Testament, notice this. That in verse 14, the one who gave them into the hand of the plunderers, saved them from the hand of the plunderers in verse 16. The Lord raised up leaders who delivered them from these robbers. And the hand that is against them in verse 15 is nevertheless for them in verse 16. He's a crazy God, isn't he? That's why Micah the prophet in chapter 7 of his book says there is no other God like you. You forgive sin and pardon the rebellion of those who remain among your people. You do not remain angry forever, but delight in showing loyal love. You will once again have mercy on us. You will conquer our evil deeds. You will hurl our sins into the depths of the sea. That's our God. That's our God. And if the people of God here in Judges chapter 2 were suffering greatly and suffering pain, it was simply because they were disobeying. And so notice verse 16. Again, the Lord raised up leaders. These are the judges. We're going to begin next week to look at these judges. Who are these judges? These people named Othniel and Ehud and Shamgar and Deborah and Gideon and Samson. Who are these people? One of the things we're going to learn about the study of judges is this. They were ordinary people. A lot like, I think, most of us in this room. But here's another theme in the book of Judges. Ordinary people hooked up to an extraordinary God can do extraordinary things. And God wants you and I to realize that as well. That even in the darkest days of Israel's history, God never stopped working. God never stopped reaching out to his people. God never stopped trying to bring his rebellious people and the people who had walked away from him back to him. And God would raise up leaders and use ordinary people like you and I to do unbelievable things. But it wasn't because they were great. It was because they had hooked up to a great God. And God wants his people to do the same thing today. He wants all of us to realize in this room that I can do extraordinary things because I'm hooked up to an extraordinary God who wants to do extraordinary things in my life and through my life. One other thing before we leave our study tonight and dive back into the pages of Judges next week. I want you to be reminded tonight about the slavery of sin Because as we read down through here, notice after verse 16, they did not obey their leaders. Instead, they prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned aside from the path their ancestors had walked. Their ancestors had obeyed the Lord's commands, but they did not. When the Lord raised up leaders for them, the Lord was with each leader and delivered the people from their enemies while the leader remained alive. The Lord felt sorry for them when they cried out in agony because of what their harsh oppressors did to them. When a leader died, though, notice this. The next generation would again act more wickedly than the previous one. They would follow after other gods, worshiping them and bowing down to them. They did not give up their practice or their stubborn ways. A long time ago, someone said, if we don't learn from history, we end up repeating it. And yet, the Bible teaches us something even more profound. And that is the increasing slavery of sin. You see, even the kindness of God, when he would raise up these judges or leaders and give the land and the people rest from their oppressors for many, many years, did not move them to faithfulness or repentance. They had Baal in their blood. Sometimes we have difficulty understanding sin as power. Why, after what God could do, Did it not break the pattern of sin? In fact, verse 19 tells us each succeeding generation actually was more wicked than the previous one. You would think that someone would come along and go, Guys, didn't that last generation suffer greatly because of their disobedience? Wouldn't it behoove us to start being obedient? Somehow that was never figured out in Israel. Why? Because sin is a power that holds us in its grip. And we can all identify with that. I've been a Christian for 35 years, a pastor for 25 years, and I can probably tell you as good as anybody how sin is a power that can hold us in its grip. That's why salvation is much more than Christ wrenching people out of the clutches of the prince of darkness. From chapter 2, verse 7 of Judges, we've now come to chapter 3, verse 6. Notice chapter 2, verse 7. The people worshipped the Lord throughout Joshua's lifetime. But notice chapter 3, verse 6. They took the Canaanites' daughters as wives and gave their daughters to the Canaanites. And they worshipped their gods as well. That's where the people of God had come to in such a short amount of time. Because of the power of sin. And maybe as we study the book of Judges, something else we will be able to be reminded of is to understand Christmas. Yes, Christmas. To understand the angel's words when he says to Joseph, your wife Mary will give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And My friends, when the Bible talks about us being saved from our sins, it's not just talking about forgiveness. It's talking about God bringing a power into our lives that can set us free from the power and slavery and bondage of sin. That's why Jesus said in John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, you will be really free. He's talking there about being set free from the power that sin can hold in our lives. We may be called the people of God like they were in the book of Judges. Yet we may be the prisoners of sin. But my friends, I want to leave you with this tonight. God not only wants his people to be forgiven. He also wants his people to be free. God is the ultimate deliverer. And I don't know what you have come here tonight needing deliverance from. Maybe nothing. But somewhere along our lives this coming year, there will probably be something that comes into our lives that we need deliverance from. And we need to be reminded of the message of the Bible, the Gospels, all the way back to the book of Judges that reminds us that our God is the one who can deliver us and set us free from anything or anyone in our lives that's holding us back from being all that God created us to be. Amen? Amen. And I hope that you will go with that thought in your mind tonight because God wants to deliver you and set you free. Let's close in prayer. God, I pray that you would use this tremendous study of this Old Testament book of Judges. Lord, a book that, again, is not very romantic. It, w- w- there's not a lot being romanticized or sanitized. It's going on in people's lives in the book of Judges, but it's real. It's right down to where a lot of times we're living every day. We're dealing with the muck and yuck of our lives or other people's lives. This is the way life is. And yet in the midst of all of that, you are there. You are right there in it with us. You are willing to dive in and get down and get dirty in there with all of that in our lives. And you want to lead us to deliverance. You want to lead us to freedom. You want to lead us to forgiveness and cleansing. And you want to let us get away from the guilt and the bondage and all of that that can be in our lives. And God, I pray that we would all be reminded tonight of these truths. And God, go with us this week. Excite us about being your people. Help us not to forget what you have done And help us, Lord, to just recommit ourselves to being true followers of Jesus Christ that can make a positive impact in this world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I love you. Thanks for being here tonight. Have a great week.